So like the Hitchhiker's Guide was wrong. Like you really need a thermometer. Yeah, I'd say the thermometer is at least as important as that towel. Hands off that dial. Business is about to get a whole lot nerdier. You're tuned in to Founder Quest. They saw like some article about how like some grocery store was like taking people's temperature before they let them in. Yeah. And the one they showed like actually projected like using a laser, the temperature reading on the person's forehead. Nice. And I thought that was so cool. And I was like, I want one of those. And so I actually started searching for it. And I was like, you know, like, what if you want to take your own temperature? <laughs> and you have to like go to a mirror and <laughs> shoot and, yourself in the head. Uh, shoot yourself in the head. Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't even think about that imagery. That's kind of gross. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lord. there's all sorts of problems with that. Now that I think about it. So yeah, we used to have like an old fashioned. That's just like any other morning, right? Like you just, <laughs> you just wake up and go into the mirror and you're just like, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have this, but I, I realized um, that I have this thing sort of hung over from childhood, which was like back when I was a kid, it was pretty common still for people to have mercury thermometers. I still have um, one. You still have one? Yeah. yeah. And which, I mean, mercury thermometers are a, it's not going to, I mean, it it's might the, break, but it's the gold yeah. standard, man. It's the gold standard. Yeah. Um, like that's what they use in chemistry labs, like still use a mercury thermometer. But the one thing that I was like always scared to do, like they tell you like when you're a kid, it's like, well, if you bite down on it and it breaks and you're going to have mercury in your mouth. And that's <laughs> basically just means you're going to die like immediately. I mean, not really, but that's the impression I got. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, even though like our thermometer now is like digital, I still have this anxiety. It's like, don't, don't bite down on it. Don't bite, you know? Yep. Honestly, I'd be more concerned about the broken glass in my mouth than I would about the mercury. <laughs> <laughs> the, the glass could be a problem. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we yeah, have one so. of the like forehead contact ones and it works pretty good. The reason why we have four thermometers is, you know, we had the original, the glass one, that was our first one. And then we upgraded and got the digital one, like when the first kid was born. And then uh, at some point later, we got one of those forehead ones. And that was great. And, uh, and then when the older one went off to college, one of the recommendations from the, you know, they had the orientation for parents as well as orientation for the kids. And the orientation for parents, they said the, the medical person got up and said, if you don't send anything else with your student, send a thermometer because they get so many reports of kids not feeling well. Like, you know, the kid will call the, the clinic and say, hey, I'm not feeling well. And they're like, well, do you have a fever? And the kid's like, I don't know. <laughs> and yeah. they're like, well, do you have a thermometer? And the answer is always no. Right. And so they said, so please send them with a thermometer. And so we got one. We got a thermometer and sent them up. Now he's back at home. So now we have four. So that's how we have four thermometers in our household. Smart. So if, yeah, I could imagine not many college kids have a, have a thermometer. All right. So today I think we're going to take a little, I mean, a mild break from simply talking about the fact that everything outside of our little bubbles is like on fire. And we're going to talk about some cool like news that like is actually, or actually Josh actually shipped something and we're going to talk about it. And Josh, Josh and Ben. Shipped Josh and Ben. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ben. But mostly Josh. Um, Ben Ben did all the cool stuff, though. Yeah, I'm just saying I didn't do anything. Um, (laughs) That's all. That's why I'm announcing it. Yeah. And yeah, so this week we released Heya, which is Josh's sort of email marketing gem Rails engine thing. So what exactly... What does it mean to say that we we released it? Like, what's what's the state of it? It's been... I mean, it's been kind of like... It's been on our GitHub. If you 
went and looked for it for a few months at least now. It's just a, it's an open source, you know, it's just a GitHub repo. This week we like announced it, started talking a little bit about it. I posted on, on Reddit and then it got uh, picked up in Ruby Weekly this week too. So that kind of got it some attention and, and uh, more people know how, like what it is now, which is it's basically a, a campaign mailer, like a sequence mailer for Rails. So it works kind of like if you're familiar with Action Mailer, sending each just vanilla emails in Rails. This basically feels just like Action Mailer, but it lets you send sequences of emails. And the sequence or the emails within sequences can be segmented. So you can send different emails to different people who enter a campaign. It's very similar to like Intercom or Customer IO, but it's a plugin, direct plugin, like self hosted in your Rails app with direct access to your user database, which is my favorite part. Yeah. And it's a little bit timely, just sort of accidentally, because the main reason that Josh sort of really wanted to do this, let me just talk in your. No, please like, do. For you, Josh, let me speak <laughs> for you. Or that we wanted to do this is because, um, like, we were paying a really large amount of money to Intercom for essentially this one feature. And is it, are we allowed to say, like, how much money we spent? Does anyone yeah. remember? Uh, well, we were paying, it was like around a thousand a month, I think. Uh, one point and then that's also not including like other segment for instance we were using segment to send our data to intercom and a few other places and that was like another 400 bucks a month so we were probably in you know all in for i don't know fifteen hundred dollars fourteen fifteen hundred dollars a month i would guess okay yeah. so it's like it's a pretty big chunk of change yeah and that was even with trimming the uh the user database yeah and we were doing all the stuff on. yeah we yeah. were doing all the things that people do with intercom and yeah, and they bill by the user, right? So you can't yeah. like actually store right. all your users in there. You got to Yeah. And when we say yeah. user, we mean user in your database, not like users that can use intercom. It's yeah. Like how many users of your app you are wanting to message. So yeah, we were yeah. like storing just our active users and still it was astronomical. Yeah. Which in, in fact kind of makes the product worse. Right, because you you end up like the users that aren't active might have sent you a request a few months ago, and uh, if you get decide to be aggressive in purging, then now you don't have that context for that user. So it's just yeah, it's frustrating as well as expensive. yeah, yeah. And like maybe you want to send some uh, some like reactivation campaigns to old users or right. something like that, or maybe yep. you want to get in touch with people. And having the old users in there isn't as valuable, obviously, as having your current users, but like it's still useful and it's kind of it's kind of crappy to having all your users in there is prohibitively yeah. expensive. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that speak. part. If you can't send like re-engage, you know, like reactivation campaigns to old users, maybe intercom is even more expensive than we thought. <laughs> yeah. And also speaking for Josh, another problem that we had uh, was just syncing the data over because you want to define segments for people to send them different kinds of emails, depending yeah. on what they've done the app and like always keeping that data in sync is problematic and, and thus segment. If you haven't ever set up um, Intercom before, basically you have to send all your sort of user data that you want to be able to use inside of Intercom. You have to send it to Intercom, right? And so anytime it changes in your um, app, you've got to update it in Intercom. And yeah, it's one of those things that's just a real pain in the neck to consistently do right or to just to maintain. It's user, it's user data. Like typically it's like your user data, which consists of uh, like, you know, a collection of properties per user. So like attributes. And then events, so like what they're doing, the activity that is happening in your application and elsewhere in your system. The use case for Segment is that all these kinds of different marketing platforms like Intercom, 
or like for instance, like Mixpanel or something that do different things with the same data basically. And so you have to send it everywhere. So you might be sending it to like six different different sources or destinations, I mean. And so intercom or segment, you know, comes in and basically like you can send it to them and then they act as the the central repository that sends it out to everything else. That solves a problem, I guess, if you're using like six different things and constantly changing things, but we weren't. And I came to the conclusion that it's that's just like crazy overkill for us. Like we didn't need that. And we struggled with that whole setup for years before we finally got around to replacing it. So yeah, what we have is like, it's just a little gem for Rails now. And I like it a lot. I had some of my own frustrations with the setup. One was, you know, if you wanted to create a segment, a new segment for in intercom for a new attribute, let's say like a person has this feature, you wouldn't have that data in intercom because you didn't put it in there before. Maybe it's a new thing and you have to go back and do a backfill for users that had that thing happen at some point in the past, but you weren't tracking it. You weren't sending it to intercom yet. So that, that got us a few, it's just annoying. Like you have to, oh, okay, I want to email these people. Oh, but that data's yeah. not over there. I have to go send it over there. And yeah. then, you know, from a, from a privacy standpoint too, like me being the compliance person, I'd get kind of twitchy when we have to send data out to third parties. And of course, being GDPR compliant, we have to tell our customers where we're sending the data mm-hmm. that we process, right? So, uh, you know, then we list segment, then we list uh, intercom and whoever else that we're sending data to. And it's just more kind of a hassle. The GDPR like made that a lot more like, because the the use case when we signed up for segment it was pe- it was because we didn't really know what we needed i think what tools were going to stick and what we um we were like trying a bunch of things as i recall and i think we were yeah. like trying mix panel we're trying intercom there was you know we were trying different things we hooked it up to yeah. our google analytics and the real nice thing back then was that you could basically just turn it on with a click of a button in segment and your data starts showing up. So you don't have to, you can try any service basically without any integration once you do the first integration to segment. But after GDPR, it's like, you could, sure you can click all those buttons, but then you got to add like six different things, new things to your DPA and go through and notify all of your customers that you did that. And that alone is like, talks us out of trying <laughs> new things, to yeah. be honest. That's true. I feel I should mention that GDPR is a, a privacy sort of regime that was instituted by like the European Union a while back, I think. So, so basically, like if you send data to third parties, you've got to notify your users. You know, if you send that user's data to a third party, um, basically, like you have to get consent for, for everything. If they are just doing your stuff, then it's fine. But then yeah. even that, though, is for GDPRs perspective but there's SOC too right there's the mm-hmm. the other kind of compliance thing that we've been working on and and that is different because that every vendor that you use that you send any kind of data to you do have to keep track of you do have to make sure that they are also doing the same kind of principles that you are committing to doing with SOC too it's and a lot more to, strict yeah it is so you have to keep track of all that and that's the hassle too so yeah so any any third party that you can remove from from receiving your data is is a good thing yeah, so well, and this is making it, I mean, especially for small businesses that don't have yeah. people to sit around and just deal with this stuff all day, right. as Ben has found out. <laughs> <laughs> How far in the SOC 2 process are we, Ben, or if you're comfortable sharing that? Oh, yeah, we are. We are getting close. And by close, we're probably within months. <laughs> I, mean, it's I was going to be like, we're, is that like a few years out? It's like you've been working on this for a year already, right? <laughs> It's been, I don't know if it's been a year, but it's definitely yeah, it's, been at least six months. 
we did uh, this past week sign an agreement with an auditing firm. So we are on track to actually get that done. And one thing that's really cool that I didn't know about until I talked to this auditing firm is, you know, we've, we've had customers asking us for our SOC to report, which we don't have because we haven't gone through an audit. And so what I've been telling customers is, you know, sorry, we don't have that. Here are the things that we're doing, but we're working towards that. But the thing that I learned this week from that auditing firm was they're actually happy to give you basically an engagement letter saying that, you know, Honey Badger has engaged with such and such firm to do this compliance audit. And that's a way for you to actually like somewhat prove to, to people who are asking for the support that it's not here yet, but it's on the way. Right? Yeah, that's so, cool. Oh, nice. That's yeah, great. It's pretty cool. That's great. Yeah. And when that happens, like we will be one of very few companies in the space that actually offer this, I think, offer SOC 2 compliance, which is going to be important because like if you want to offer SOC 2 compliance, then you got to have your error report handling service mm -hmm. that also SOC 2 compliant. Another cool thing that I didn't really think about is like this helps us with even future things that we might do because I assume now that our company is SOC 2 compliant, we can build as long as we follow these guidelines for anything new we build. I mean, that is also compliant, right? So this kind of goes yeah. a lot. It goes a long way, it seems, into the future for yes. helping us out. That's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. True. It definitely gives a good starting point. The part of the compliance audit is you do give them a system description, which basically you describe okay. what you do, how you do it, like where does data go so that they can get an idea of, you know, of what the risks might be. So you would have to, if, you, if we create a new line of business, let's say, we would have to you know, amend that description and say, okay, now we're also doing this. And then, and then mm -hmm. have the, the next audit include that. But yeah, you would be definitely starting from a much, a much more advanced point than starting from scratch. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. But you know what? It doesn't even matter for Heya because it's self-hosted. Exactly. So anything, anything that a business self-hosts, you don't have to get a third-party like compliance report from them or anything like that because that's on your own hardware. Yeah, that's one of the, that's one of the big selling points, I think. I'll say, speaking of selling, it's not just an open source gem, right, Josh? Oh, yeah. Yes, it does have a, uh, a price attached to it. It's a new open source license called the Prosperity Public License. And what this is, is it, it's basically a, uh, it's kind of like a hybrid. So it's free for nonprofit or non-commercial companies. It has a 30-day trial for anyone else. And then after that, if you're a commercial business, then you're required to pay. We actually are also extending that to the tri or the the free version to um, any small like small businesses like bootstrappers and stuff. So if you have less than a thousand users in your application, then you can use it for free, just like like as if you were a nonprofit, basically. Because I mean, let's be honest, you probably are nonprofit, <laughs> pre-profit <laughs> star, <laughs> pre-profit. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to be too um, too negative there. <laughs> The commercial, uh, the, the price tag right now is uh, $99 per year, which is pretty low. We weren't really sure what to charge for it. And it's kind of, you know, it's a new gem that is likely to change in the future as more people use it. And um, I add, I have a lot of ideas to add to it. So if we actually get there, I think it'll be going up a little bit. But um, yeah, that's kind of the introductory price. Yeah, we, we discussed this, I think, in the, the last conclave, which was that, yeah, we're going to price it give this sort of introductory pricing just to, yeah. you know, test the waters and see what is, you know, see how people <clears> respond, <throat> see how people use it in, in the real world and everything. We've explored like the open core model a little bit. Like that's kind of like what, um, like Sidekick, for instance, the, the Ruby uh, background processing gem. 
that has a free, completely open source, like true open source version. And then it has a, uh, a pro that's a closed source, a pro version. And you can buy that and it comes attached with a separate license, I think. But this is different from that in that like everything actually is open source. Like you can go read all of the code on GitHub right now. There's more, much more of an element of the honor system in this approach. And I have like, this is, it's kind of untested, um, uncharted territory, at least for us, especially. So we're kind of going to see how it works. Actually, we came up with a pretty cool, like licensing key scheme, which basically like we can generate license keys for people when they purchase. Right now, the only thing it does is it like basically removes a warning that says like, this is the free version. I don't know if it would actually ever like gate features or anything like that within the gem. That would all totally be doable. We mentioned earlier that it's kind of a, a replacement, at least for our use case of Intercom, where we were having these email campaigns that are sort of, you know, they can be triggered by things, by users' actions within the application. Um, they are sequences, meaning you get sort of emails drift out across time. And, you know, in Intercom, I know how you do things like that, how you like set this up where you go into this user interface and you say, okay, I'm going to define this segment of my users, which is users that meet criteria X, Y, and Z. And then for each of these users in the segment, you know, do this series of emails. And like, hey, uh, is a completely different, like completely different approach. And I was just wondering if maybe we could talk a little bit about like what setting up one of these campaigns actually involves, maybe like an actual example of some way that we're, we're using it in our app. And yeah, yeah just to give people a little, a little taste. Currently, there is no UI, no like graphical UI for Heya. It's all a command line and Ruby files, which we like because we're Ruby developers and we're mostly just managing the content, you know, ourselves. So we don't mind digging into the Ruby to add emails or, you know, create new campaigns and stuff. So that's, you know, I really like that approach. So basically like in with Heya, every, every campaign is, it has its own file. Um, it's, it's one Ruby file where you would define the steps of the campaign. So each step has a name. And each step is an e basically an email that is sent. So it has, you know, you can have options for each step, like how long it should wait between them, who it should like, you can segment. So like, who is it, who's the step actually going to send to, or people that don't match are going to skip to the next one. Yeah. So it's very, like, like I said, it's similar to action mailer. So in with action mailer in rails, use uh, Rails stores, those mailers in app slash mailers, the directory campaigns with Heya are stored in app forward slash campaigns. So it's, it's very similar mapping there. So each campaign has a single has maps to a file and then the templates and stuff are all basically just action mailer under the hood. So it's very like, if you know how to build an action, mailer, like a rails email, you know how to build a Heya email basically. Yeah. And there's a couple of things that may not be completely obvious that I just want to call out that are actually like huge benefits of doing it this way. It's not just about like, we want to be like programmers and do things in this programming way. So a couple things. First of all, when you define your email sequences in code, you actually can, these get checked into your version control system, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you screw it up, you can go back and revert to a previous version. You can do all this stuff, which if you've ever edited campaigns, like in a tool like Intercom, it's just a yeah. visual thing. And it's like, it's terrible. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? You, you have no way of, of tracking anything about how that's changed over time or who originally set it up or anything like that. 
Like that's one big benefit. And the other big benefit is that you can actually test these things. You can write unit tests to make sure that your email sequence is executing in the way that you expect it to, given um, certain conditions, like mm-hmm. users with certain attributes and stuff like that. There's also segmenting, which is tying into the testability benefit. Like to me, it's huge because if you ever get like, like most of the like email automation tools are fine if you're just doing like the bare minimum, like if you're just sending a drip email sequence, basically. But if you start to get into complicated workflows or you have like a lot of complicated uh, segmenting logic, like different groups of users who are getting different emails at different times and all that sort of stuff, like you're basically programming within those interfaces because you're, you're creating all this logic that is going to dictate like what the system does. However, there is like testing does not exist in that universe. So aside from just your standard QA, like, you know, you using it and trying to make sure it works. So is this why, is this why like every month I get some like apology email from, from some random yeah. company who's like, oh, uh, sorry, we didn't mean we to send to that. You that your account was expiring or yeah. you needed to change your password or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And it's, to be honest, like it's surprising to me that this, that that doesn't happen more often. I, I suspect it actually probably does, but like it's email. So, you know, people, you, you can't necessarily always see what's happening either. So, or notice it, but yeah, it's, it's very easy for your workflow logic to misfire or not work like you thought it thought you set it up to work with Heya, you can like the can't the segments are basically well the segments not basically they are just ruby code that's on your basically on your user object or model a segment is like literally just a a proc that a user is passed into and then you can return true or false and that's that user is in that segment so you can test that. You probably already have like most of your segmenting logic like built into your user model already. At least we did. And that's another problem we had with using the uh, like third party, like, you know, using a bunch of services is that like they all have their own versions of segmenting. And if you you're, if you're doing it like at the edge, like if you're building your segments into intercom, then basically like if you want to use those segments anywhere else, you have to also build them into those other tools. And that's a incredible. So then you're like, you're managing like custom logic in a bunch of different places with duplication, which is just, yeah, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. I think it's so cool that you can have your, your logic right there in the app for which emails get sent when, you know, you can check and is this user paying or does this user have that feature or, you know, was the last time users logged in, all that kind of stuff is right there because you are dealing with the user model that's in your app. Well, I think that's, I mean, that's kind of a best practice. Like I've learned over time, that's a best practice in general is like, I like to keep my segmenting logic as close to my application and you'd like my, you know, single copy of user data as possible. And that's one reason, like you probably don't want to just send all of your properties to services like intercom, because then you end up basically, if you, if all you have are your properties, you're having to recreate those segments based on what those like the property values on changes and stuff. Whereas if you actually computed your segments like in your application and then sent the value of that, like the result of that to intercom or all of your other tools, then they're all getting the same thing and they're, you're not duplicating the logic basically. Let me throw out an example and see if this is what you're actually talking about. So you're talking about instead of just like saying, imagine your user table in your database has a a thing that, I don't know, a field that's like projects count that has the number of projects this user's created. 
instead of sending that directly to intercom and then an intercom being like, we want to have like low usage people. So we're going to create a segment in intercom that says if projects count is less than five or whatever, do this thing. So you're suggesting like the way you, you would prefer to do that is to send, is to do that in the, the code itself and send maybe an attribute for that user that says, you know, low usage user yeah. directly to intercom and then just check that um, sort of Boolean inside of intercom. Exactly. Yeah. Like, because that's, you know, that's that you're adding a conditional. So that's logic. And if you have the ifs, basically you have the if statement in intercom, if you're saying if, you know, project count is less or whatever than five. You know what, so. That just sounds like a whole lot of work anyway. It'd be so much easier if you just um, did this all in your code. Yeah. That way you could just have a single copy of your data. You could have a single copy of your logic. Uh, it just wouldn't, wouldn't have to be sending yeah. stuff all over the place. Exactly. With Hey, you don't have to worry about, like, um, who, yeah. Who are we FedEx? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think segment is <laughs> or something. I don't know. It's interesting though, like the MarTech industry, which is marketing technology. That's, that's the cool, the cool word for all of this stuff. You know, if companies that are dealing with this thing, this, this problem on a mass scale are the reason for segments existence. Like segment is solving that problem for companies that like can't just like build everything into their app for whatever reason. So yeah. it's it's interesting. Like one of the features that segment came out with within the last couple of years anyway, I think it feel like it was like within the last year, is the ability to basically you can do that. They now have segments where you can define your segmenting logic into in segment and it basically stores it in your data warehouse. And then they send that on, like they forward those values on. So they basically they're like computing your segments in one location. They're like kind of acting as that intermediary and then they okay, send the values yeah. out. So it's the same thing. But then I like that led to me to think like, why, why do we need segment in there? If we're at this point, we're only using a couple of things in the, the first place. So I kept just like walking it back and realized like, we really just need to send some emails with some logic and Ruby's great for that. We love Ruby. So let's use Ruby. Yeah. I mean, the only downside really here is that a person who's not a developer realistically can't add a new email, can't do any of that. But I mean, honestly, with with all the stuff we've been talking about, you know, about all the work it takes to send this data to intercom and stuff like it seems like half the time a, a pure marketing person wouldn't be able to do that anyway, because like they'd be relying on some data that wasn't present or or something like that. It's a lot to manage. Like, I think. Again, like companies that have marketing, big marketing departments with a bunch of people that can dedicate their entire, you know, their work days to managing that stuff, like sure. But it's definitely, it's been a lot for even, it's been a lot for me to manage as a developer doing marketing. So it's got to be a lot for a non-developer doing marketing to do the same thing or more. Definitely. Um, hey, also supports Markdown. So um, via, actually via a different gem, which is really cool called uh, Maildown. It's very easy. Like you can have your marketing, like pe uh, people, like non-technical people can, like most of people are learning to write Markdown these days. So you can still have, you know, non-technical people doing the actually producing content, for instance, write in Markdown. It basically, you just copy it in and that's it. So it's not, oh, that's awesome. it's really not that hard to, to set these things up. Can I just also mention one other cool thing about um, the testing, which you know, it may not actually have much to do with Heya, but the fact that it is, the fact that Heya is built into um, Rails and it uses, does it use like Rails action mailer stuff under yeah. the hood? Yeah, you can use basically okay. all of that stuff to your benefit as well. Yeah, so what that means is that like you can actually test your, you can test 
the the content of your emails. Yeah. Like I don't know, like if our our beautiful listeners have ever um, been setting up a a campaign in a tool like Mailchimp or whatever, and you find that well, like when you send it, it turns like the mail like the mail merge tags didn't work right or you know whatever. And like yeah, you can send test emails and you can do all this stuff, but it's so awkward and it's so easy to miss things. Mm-hmm. And so just like making sure that the email is rendered correctly with like all the mail merge tags, like in there with maybe different types of, of data, different lengths of strings and stuff, and being able to sort of like look at that. And in addition to the unit test, Rails also has a, is this, I don't know, I forget if they built this in at this point. Do they have the, the previews built in where, you, what? The, the previews, previews? Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah, it's got like a built-in preview thing yeah. now where you can, by now, I mean like within the past decade. <laughs> <laughs> or you can, yeah, it, it runs a little server and yeah. you can basically like see any emails that it sends out, like the actual HTML of it, like in a browser, like a, a mail mm-hmm. client. And it's so cool. So like all that infrastructure is amazingly useful. You really don't have to send test emails at all when you're building a campaign in the, with this way, this approach, because you're, it's more, you're doing like a test driven approach. So you, you know, you're basically like testing, you're doing the testing with whatever, RSpec mini test or whatever. And then if you do, like, of course, you probably do want to actually see what the emails look like. There's a lot of different tools in Rails that basically like can act as a, there's a like, mail catcher, for, ex- for instance, that will act like an email server and let you see what it's sending out. So it's, you know, it's a very nice integrated environment to build out your marketing campaigns, basically. And yeah. then, the, you know, there's also localization, right? You can, yes. you can use those... Uh... Localization strings. Oh, are, shut up, Ben. We're including yeah. localization too. So, Heck yeah. That's, shut yeah. Up. We can't, we can't afford this. We can't afford to do it. <laughs> we're no, giving stop, the, stop the, stop the recording. We're we giving the whole store away. <laughs> yeah. You're giving and away too much, Ben. You know what the best part of all of this is, is, is it's basically, we're just like selling you rails. Um, <laughs> like pretty much all like what Hey, it does is, you know, it's the scheduling, which is, is the magic the scheduling and the segmenting, but even that, you know, all of that stuff under the hood is taking advantage of all the awesome stuff that you get in Rails for free as well. So it's an extremely good deal. You know, I feel like if this Honey Badger thing doesn't work out, um, <laughs> we can always like just sort of go on the roadshow and do some sort of like super shammy like roadshow at like fairs. Just be like Rails, Rails advocates or something. Or, or is this yeah. like non-tech? Like we're going to go do just like... No, like, like the roadshow. super shammy. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Or whatever, sure. like, like uh, Jensu knives or... <laughs> for, for a limited time, every purchase of Haya comes with a free roll of flex tape. Ooh. Oh, there you go. Flex tape. The yeah. Flex tape. Yeah. Yeah. We're we talking. talked about how much you love that stuff. So. <laughs> I feel yes. like we need like the technical version of flex tape. Like, you can make a lot of money if you have the technical version of flex tape. It's no like, doubt. Yeah, I think it's, it's called like Pearl. It's called Pearl. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's like your queues dropping jobs. Like your, your web servers are falling down. Just like... Put some flex tape on it. Slap some pearl on. Right now, Heya is just, you know, it's basically what we just described. It's campaign, campaign mailer that's all in just, it's a developer tool in Ruby. There's a, lot of, it, there's a lot of interesting things that we can do with it in the future, though, that I think could be interesting. So for instance, I think I just said interesting like five times. So for instance, the way I built, the way I designed the campaign scheduler and basically like the the DSL that you use to build these campaigns in Ruby, 
it's designed so that it could potentially also work with the UI. So we could have, we could, you know, we could actually build a graphical user interface for this that would like, you know, mount into your Rails app. And then you could have your marketing people add campaigns and manage the content in them and all that normal stuff. So I haven't decided, like, decided if that's actually something that I would want to add because personally, like, I prefer the way we just described um, for all the reasons we just said. But I, there, it's, it's got some interesting technical possibilities. That'll be the uh, Heya Platinum Edition. Could be. Oh, there you yeah. go. I guess we'll we'll see. Like, I have a feeling. See what if I'm. You know, if enough people use it, hopefully I'll get some feedback and see what they see what they want, and then I'll I'll probably just build that. But yeah, I have a feeling a lot of this is just going to depend on like the the feedback we get from from people who use it. Yeah. So if you're a Rails developer, you should go and check it out and use it and ask us to do some stuff with it, and we will. Yeah, and uh, you can find it at heya.email. That's the domain name, heya.email. Heya.email. H-E-Y-A. And can I um, just make a suggestion, right? In these uncertain times, um, we're all going to be tasked with cutting expenses and doing all this stuff. And it may, you know, some of us may face the choice of like, okay, do we need to cut out the expense of our error monitoring system? Which is a hard choice, but I'm just saying... Intercom is in general much more expensive to use than Honey Badger is. And so we are graciously offering you this chance to cut Intercom instead of Honey Badger. We're offering them in our place. Yeah, we're offering them in our place because that's, you know, that's just how we like to do business. A, a plus would offer again. Would, would <laughs> offer again. I love it. And I mean, honestly, we got to claw back some of that money that we, we gave them. <laughs> We we gave them a lot of money. Yeah, we got to get some of that back now. <laughs> you know, that, that makes me think we actually we did have a process for migrating off of Intercom and on to Heya. Yeah. Right? So we should probably document that for people who are also interested in moving off of Intercom. I've got a, got a bunch of things I, I should write. Yeah, there's a, I've got a list of documentation stuff. But yeah, I think it would be cool to kind of go through the process that we came up with for, for migrating, because there's a, a number of different steps, different points. We haven't even talked, I think we talked about maybe in a previous episode, but our move to help scout from Intercom was the first step in all of this too, because with initially we used Intercom, we used more of Intercom. So we were using it for support as well as for onboarding emails. So that was the first, the first step was to get our support out of there, um, which we're much happier with, I think in general as well. Yeah, and then that just left the basically for us, it just left the email, the emails we were sending, um, and that's where Haya came in, and and that once we moved to that, we were able to ditch Intercom entirely. So you're saying the next step for Haya is to build a um, support um, system tool called Hayelp. <laughs> if if I do, that will be the name for sure. I okay, love that. I love you. that name. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I gotta go. I should go like snag that gem name just in case. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. All right. So it sounds like we're wrapping up. Anybody have anything else they'd like to add? Nope. This has been Founder Quest. If you enjoyed listening to us, go give us a review on Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called. And if you want to write for us, we are hiring people to write in the vein of like like Ruby tutorials, Elixir tutorials. Like maybe we might, we talked about maybe getting like a node, maybe like trying maybe something in node. I don't know. Yeah, it'd have to be a good one. So go to our blog, um, look at the top 
navigation bar area, there's a write for us link and read that page and, and, you know, contact me in the manner specified. I do accept bribes, just FYI. So this has been Founder Quest and we'll see you guys later. ThunderQuest is a weekly podcast by the founders of Honey Badger. Zero instrumentation, 360-degree coverage of errors, outages, and service degradations for your web apps. If you have a web app, you need it. Available at HoneyBadger.io. Want more from the founders? Go to FounderQuestPodcast.com. That's one word. You can access our huge back catalog or sign up for our newsletter to get exclusive VIP content. FounderQuest is available on iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of fine podcasts. We'll see you next week.